If you're a man in midlife, you might be asking questions like, who am I, and where am I going, or what is the meaning of life? And that's not at all unusual, because those questions do come up in the middle stages of life. And we're going to address that today on Focus on the Family with our guest, Steve Arterberg. And we're going to come alongside and help you avoid a crisis and really thrive. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, I want to start with Scripture, and this is for all of us, but in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I love this idea of applying uh, that journey, that mm-hmm. biblical growth that we have over our lifetime to the middle years, because so often vocationally we're achieving things that we wanted to achieve. Maybe you wanted to start your own business and you did it, and or maybe you just wanted to make a, a good living for your family and you did it. And you look around and go, okay, now what? And that's what we're going to talk about with Steve today, six ways for men to thrive in middle life. Uh, Steve, welcome back to Focus on the Family. Thanks. I love being here, and I'm so glad you started with that scripture, because midlife crisis does not have to occur. It really can be one of the greatest things ever. I would say it's the least written about, though, because we, we know about childhood development, adolescent development. We know about old age, but very little about the developmental stages in midlife, and it really doesn't have to be a crisis. I made up a word called lordular. And lordular. Lordular, and that <laughs> okay. is let's go into this with uh, scripture as our foundation, yeah. with an eternal perspective, and let's become that godly man that we've always wanted to be, and we can be that man. So what is the definition of midlife? Mm-hmm. The, the thoughts about midlife started with a book that referred to it as a, as a midlife season, and then we started talking about midlife, and it's, it's a transition point. And you may rarely hear anything with the word gender in it that is positive, but here's a great two-word combination, gender expansion. Midlife, for a man, is a time of gender expansion. You in better other, explain that yeah, one. <laughs> in other words, we start to feel more compassionate to huh. other people. We start to desire deeper connection toward midlife. So, is, is that because we're getting older and we're understanding the importance of it? Or are we just thick-skinned or thick-headed? I, no, or? I think a lot of men think that uh, relationships are optional and that the achievement is everything. And so we start to expand our own definition of who it means to be a man. Now, there's something else about uh, this midlife thing that happens to a lot of men that do produce a crisis. If you were raised in a family where there was no father or a weak father and a domineering uh, mother, you start to have this fear creep up on you that you're going to end up in that same kind of mode. Well, rather than react to that, you need to have a plan, and that's why this is a manual for midlife. I see a lot of people doing it right. From my perspective in Scripture, I don't find anybody uh, retiring from being a disciple. Or, well, of course, they were killed before they could get that age, but, but there's no retirement 
in my mind. There's a shift. There's a transition. Mm -hmm. And you can be preparing for that transition at age 40, 45, and it can be the greatest time of your life. And I got to tell you, in this gender expansion, you also have on the other side women that are starting to feel more confident, more assertive about themselves. And the combination of the two of you expanding who you have been and really branching out. Maybe the the nest is empty and you've got some things you can do. That can create this abundant life that you've heard so much about that maybe you wondered, have I missed it? Now's the time to find it. And it can be, and I think that's the right picture to paint here. It's a very positive moment. It 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 isn't necessarily a negative moment unless you paint the picture that way. Uh, Steve, in the book, you've summarized the changes that happen in midlife for men very well. Uh, You said, in fact, it seems as if everybody's character in the show has changed and nobody's sticking to the script. Mm -hmm. Uh, The actions are not like anything we've rehearsed before. What were you getting at there? To me, it sounds like an expectation for life. It's kind of moving along. There's a a certain rhythm to life that's good. You fit Mm -hmm. with it. You and your wife are doing well. The kids are now probably 17, 18, 19. You're about to launch, or you've just recently launched. That usually is about when midlife is hitting you. Um, What's the change of the script, and why does that freak us out and make us panic? Well, I think the younger our kids are, the more predictable they are Mm -hmm. and the uh, more control we have over them and the more control we have in uh, in life in general and so this shift of roles we all of a sudden these people that we kind of predicted what they were going to do or say or be now they're developing a new individuality they're separating from us and we if if we don't have some other men that we're connected to uh, it can be a pretty scary experience. And so one of the, the things that I say is as you're watching this happen, your your script doesn't apply anymore. Life changes. Uh, you need to be in a group where you can talk about this and get some insight from Okay, let's get down to the analysis. Okay. Uh, the, the wives that are listening, for example, how do you know if your spouse or how do you know as a husband or how do you know as the man that you've hit this midlife crisis moment. Mm -hmm. What are those signs? Well, you know, if it's not going well, one of the negative signs, of course, is kind of a a depression or an emptiness and uh, a loneliness and just a wandering through. What does that manifest like? I I am thinking specifically of of the wife to help her husband. So speak to her. She's coming to you saying, here's my husband. This is what he's doing. It's a Mm -hmm. little different behavior than I'm used to. He's shutting down. Okay. He's closing off to you. He's afraid, really. I mean, that's the basis of this. He's afraid. He doesn't know what he's getting into. Mm. And so he's not going to walk in one day and say, you know, I'm scared to death of what's happening. And one of the things that we have to do is learn to live with some new limitations and mm. accept that and and not be tremendously bothered every time we can't do something that we used to do. Does that kind of define a younger man that limitations are only things to conquer? I mean, I I think it, you know, playing football and being a sports guy like I was, that was always the thing for us as guys. We're in the huddle going, okay, we're going to get this first down. I mean, your whole life kind of develops in that way. Right. Climb the hill, win the good job, do the things you need to do to conquer. And then all of a sudden, okay, I don't know if I can do that next one. And and mm-hmm. then there's the other person who goes to work in a factory and does the same thing, puts the spark plug in day after day, the same thing, so that 20 years later he can retire, so he can put his kids through college, so that he can provide for other people. And, you know, it, the mountain is just 
being consistent and continuing to do that while all these other people look like they're living this dream. And and I feel for that guy because he's a hero. Well, wouldn't you? Yeah, to me, when you say that, it sounds like sacrificial manhood. Absolutely. If I could say it that way. It's humbling down into uh, what I think Jesus calls us to do, and that's to serve. But I want to I point out something that's really a positive thing. In this area of limitations, when they tested 25-year-olds versus 40-year-olds, the 40-year-old is superior in verbal functioning, numerical functioning, reasoning, and memory. All of those issues. The only thing that we're, we're not very, we suffer a little bit from is uh, kind of a perceptual uh, sense of something. In other words, it takes us longer to get a joke. Big deal. But all the other stuff, <laughs> or to remember where your keys are. Yes, it's better. So, you know, we might not be able to run as fast or whatever, but there are things that are happening that we're really starting to peak more toward midlife than to go downhill. Mm. Steve, you painted a pretty broad picture of the midlife years. Um, I've got a friend who's in his mid-50s, mm-hmm. and he's been very faithful and working for 30 years at the same employer, and he's got an option to retire early. What kinds of issues do they need to discuss to work through this? Well, you know, if I was talking with him, I would encourage him absolutely to, to retire, but not to retire, but retread and and keep rolling. You can do about everything you ever dreamed of doing in retirement in about six months, and then, then you get bored. <laughs> so what I would be saying to this couple is, hey, what's the dream? And get out there and do something that you've never had the time to do. And that's great advice. In fact, you mentioned four critical things men should do in, in this phase. Uh, I'll hit them quickly. Reevaluate, recalculate, remember, and reinstill. So hit those. What okay. does that mean? Well, first of all, a reflective life is a sign of a mature man. And that's something that we're we're forgetting to do. You need to reflect back and what has gone well and what hasn't. And you need to remember where you've tripped up or and you need to reevaluate some things in your life. Are you using porn? Are you drinking too much? Are you doing anything that's hurting you? Now, you need to stop that. But you also need to start something else, and you need to develop the character. You know, I I have these people with alcohol and drug problems, and they'll say, I was delivered from this addiction. And I'll say, well, were you delivered into total character and godly manhood? Well, no. Okay, so let's get a program. So in this area of recalculate, I say join a group in that recalculation. Mm -hmm. Don't do this alone. This is the time to get in a men's Bible study, get into a growth group with some other men, and you'll find that men do become men in the company of men, and you'll discover parts of yourself that God wants to use that you'll never discover alone, isolated, and just doing what you've always done. That's good. That's the reevaluate part. I like that challenge, actually. Yeah. And then you go to recalculate. What, what does that mean? Well, if I stay w- with what I'm doing now, where am I going to end up? Or if I change my trajectory, I start to really uh, serve. I start to study the Scripture so that I can be, quote-unquote, lordular in all of my living. Then where's that going to lead me? And I think men are lonely, isolated, confused, and there are these healthy, caring, loving, other, a little bit older men that want to come alongside you and help you step into kingdom living. But it takes a little bit of a risk to do that. 
But when you do, when you make that recalculation and then you make the adjustment and get into it, you never look back. You say, and, and I had a, a lady the other day, she said, I, he's gone this a full day serving, but I'd rather him be gone that full day and I'll have him six than have all seven of the guy he used to be. Wow. I mean, that's true. When you serve, you tend to get so much more back than yeah. the person or people you're serving, right. which is great. Mm-hmm. So you got reevaluate, recalculate, let's hit remember and reinstill. Well, remember what God called you to do. And uh, let's reinstill some new dreams within there. Let's remember some of the things that really made you hum when you were younger, some things that uh, excited you. And, and what could you do about that to bring that dream back to life? Steve, what about the guy who says, you know, my head was so down and hard charging mm-hmm. in my career, I don't remember hearing that from God. Mm-hmm. What would you say to him? Start to listen. <laughs> That's and, good. and so you have to turn off the motors and... And you have to have the... Be still. Yeah, be still. Know that he is God and he cares about you. And this is the thing. We've got to, wherever we are, many times we're waiting for God to do what God's waiting for us to do. So you might be waiting for God to tell you something. Well, let's just get busy and let's start moving in a direction and see if God blesses that or not. And then we can adjust. But when you're standing still, when you're stagnant, it's hard for God to move you. It's much easier... To move I love that moving. analogy of the sailboat. You know, if the sails aren't up, yeah. the wind's not going to move the ship. That's right. You well, got to have your sails up. That's your part, and then the Lord will bring the wind. Well, I I like to talk about laying on of hands. Uh, we all love to be part of laying on of hands. I say lay on your lay on the hands of a steering wheel and get your hands on the steering wheel and drive yourself to a Bible study, a meeting, a growth <laughs> group, a recovery group. That's the laying on of hands that can really start to change your action. life. You don't, yes. And, and it's faith in action versus faith as a concept. And that fourth one again, reinstill, what are you driving at? Well, reinstill in your life the values that you were born to live out. And that's, that's the value of, of companionship, of partnership, uh, the values of godly living and holiness. You were called to something special. Uh, John 8, 31, 32 says that uh, if you follow my teachings, you're truly my disciple. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Start to follow. Just memorizing a verse doesn't set you free, but following the Bible, you start to become the disciple and then you experience the freedom that God wants you to experience. Mm. Uh, Steve, in the book, you mentioned the macho man, and uh, what are those big takeaways for men that are living Mm -hmm. that kind of life? Yeah, you know, I was uh, overweight, so I I called myself nacho man, (laughs) but but within within all of us is, I think, every man, there's this uh, expectation that we can do more, conquer more, know more, we're smarter, stronger, and all of that. And, okay, so that's the extreme that's unhealthy, but... What you want to be is not the extreme macho man. You want to become a competent man. I think uh, every guy's kind of asking, am I a man? And then, okay, I'm a man. But am I a competent man? What's the definition of that? If you're doing the self-evaluation right now, the guys are driving down the road listening. How do you know you're competent? You can do stuff. You can solve problems. You can fix things. And and you can can come up with creative ways to do different things. Don't shut that down. Wait a second. Fixing things makes you competent? I'm in trouble. (laughs) You've got the right phone number. That's like the worst thing in my repertoire. I can fix hardly a thing. But you know who to call. (laughs) Okay, I do know who to call. 
And and there are other things though, Jim, that obviously you're fixing a lot of things in people's lives. You're helping other people, and so maybe somebody that's better at putting a bookshelf together does that for you. But you're we are competent men, and so don't just abandon this fact that we are male, and it's a pretty exciting thing to be, and we do have some competencies. Now we want to use those to serve, not to lord it over somebody or to abuse or control somebody, and that's where we get in trouble. So we want to go back to Scripture where you know God is telling us to serve others, not to use our gifts to lord it over somebody else. Yeah, no, that's good. And that macho mentality, I mean, a male mentality, you've got to bridle that. Uh, like Christ says, it's, lay down your life. It's called restraint. For your spouse. That's yeah. a tough one. It, think it, of it, that. Yes. And, and I don't think, uh, you know, we always start with Ephesians 4.22 verses 21, because 22 says, woman, submit. But 21 says, submit yourselves to one another. And that's what we want to see people mm. do is lay down your life the way Christ tells us to. And when you do that, you pick up a role in life that's very much like Jesus. Mm. Steve, let me hit this one because, again, if you're around a group of men, and, and I would think all of us men listening will acknowledge this, and some wives may be surprised by this, but the conversations usually start with, uh, you know, what do you do, what where do you, you do? work? Right. We don't talk about the kids if we're just, you know, we'll talk about the kids, but we don't start the conversation there typically. Right. You know, how many kids do you have? What are their ages? That's not your usual golf buddy discussion. It comes around to that usually because your kids are having some kind of problem and it's frustrating you as a dad. Right. That's how those conversations get started. But men usually begin to identify with each other by what we do. Yeah. Is part of this midlife crisis problem in that area of I'm losing my identity. Mm. I'm wrapped up in my identity because of what I do. How do we shake that noose? You could be wrapped up in it, and it could be a very uh, negative experience when somebody says what you do. But I'd like to have folks consider a different answer. What do you do? You know what? I work down at the auto plant during the week. But the thing I'm most excited about is I love my family, and here are some of the things that we love to do together. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, I have a ministry at the church, and this is the thing that just sets so me on fire. So that becomes your identity. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're it's really driving It's an expanded at. identity versus talking about you don't like it down there, the people. Don't just say, just tell them where you go to work, and then... If you've truly accepted the challenge of midlife, according to this little manual here, if you accept that challenge, you have an expanded identity. You know, Steve, one area we really haven't covered right at the end here, and that's the relationship with your children. And again, those ages are going to vary at this stage in your life as a 40, 50-something. You can have today more common to have younger kids even. But how do you relate to your children? Let's just assume they're right at the point of going off to college or they're already there or vocational training. They're out of the home. How does a, a father relate to his children in this moment of midlife crisis? If you're still into uh, correction versus connection, you've, you've got it wrong. I think a lot of us got men uh, make mistakes. We blow it. And this time is the time for repair. Uh, to take and uh, humble yourself, ask for forgiveness, talk about the difficulty of being a dad, those kinds of things. And you can build the relationship with the older child 
that uh, maybe got uh, messed up uh, during those high school years. That's hard to do, though. It, I mean, it's. Are you saying, living the dream? I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah. experientially, in my own life, it's hard to kind of not offer the instructive, "Hey, you know, have you checked your oil on your car lately?" kind of thing. <laughs> I, I I know, and and we are living that. We have two in college, one in graduate school, but we have to be there for them, not offer any kind of control or judgmental or shaming kind of belittling thing because they're a, it's they've gone into young adulthood and the more we honor them well it just frees them to make the best decision yeah and it, decision. it's got to be so intentional because i think that works out of our habits i mean you'll be mm-hmm. i think pleasantly surprised after i read the book one of the things i did this morning in fact was my my oldest who's 18 is away with his buddies at a cabin up in the mountains mm. just having some fun with his with his friends and i could have texted a lot of things to him did you read the scripture this morning yeah. did you, right. you know but i just said you know i want you to know i love you i hope you're having a fun time and great and, and wow i think that's a better way to go but it, it uh, really is you pushed me to do that simply by reading the book so thank you for that mm-hmm. um, i want to end on the perhaps the highest of notes and it's the lowest which is humility you talk about that in your book you say that humility is the biggest lesson that we learn as parents um why is it well, my wife's phrase, uh, humbling down, is, is one of the most difficult things, but one of the most rewarding things. When we come down, uh, think of what Jesus did. All creation is his, and he comes down to our level. We don't have quite as far to go as Jesus did in, in getting down eyeball to eyeball with us. So we can humble ourselves, admit some limitations, some mistakes, and then I think true humility versus humiliation is to humble yourself and become the servant that God has called you to become. Use the talents that he gave you. Don't cover up the problems that you've developed. And tell people you're in process and you're working. That's a true humble man to say. I still, at age 65 or 70, I've not arrived. I'm still working. Yeah, that is good. You also mentioned the idea that thriving isn't a right, it's a pursuit. And in a rights-oriented culture, I found Mm -hmm. that very provocative. Thriving is not a right, it's a pursuit. It is, because a lot of people think if I just make a little more money, if I have a little more of this or whatever, uh, that's thriving. But really, thriving is the pursuit of what has God called me to do? What has he equipped me to do and to live that out? You know, Jim, I think I'm one of the most fortunate people in the world because I have a wonderful family and I get to do what I love to do. What I I started doing in seminary, I love to see people change. Mm -hmm. Now, what is it that lights you up and ignites your soul? That's what you need to be pursuing versus looking and evaluating and comparing yourself to other people. Yeah. And, you know, Steve, the, the bottom line is we men, and I'm sure wives are going to say you're right jim we kind of need it spelled out for us sometimes because we're you know we're locked we're compartmentalized in our thinking and and we need the roadmap you know do this then this in that context um there's nothing more important for a man in midlife than to be a man of god you've said that but i want you right at the end here describe how you believe a man of god should live his life give me the one two three four well he's consistent and he's accountable, and he has character, and he's connected to his wife, his kids, and other men. And when you compare your life to that, if you've got nothing 
of that? God is the God that can bring something out of nothing. You're right where God wants you to be. Mm -hmm. He's the one that brings life out of death. So there's great hope for you, even if all you've got left is nothing. Yeah, that is so well said, Steve. That's why I'm excited about this resource. Um, you know what? This is a little book, but it's packed with great wisdom. And Steve, you've done a wonderful job pulling this together for us men that need the one, two, three approach. So uh, thanks, Steve, so much for joining us. Thank you. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. I think Stephen Otterburn has given the men a great picture of the competent man he was talking about in the beginning of the program. And I really liked what he said about following the teaching of the Bible in order to experience the freedom that God offers. But I think most importantly, be a man who is prepared to serve others, particularly your wife and family. Our resource offering today is a book called Halftime by Bob Buford, who believes that the second half of your life can be much better than the first. He says it's a time of revitalization and for catching a new vision for living the second half, the half where life can be lived at its most rewarding. You'll find half time when you shop online at safamily.co.za or give us a call on 031-716-3300. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I'm Graham Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.